It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to uh, today's show. Great show lined up as we continue our Logistics with Purpose series here, powered by our dear friends over at Vector Global Logistics. Now, what what is this series all about? Well, it's simple. We spotlight leaders and organizations that are in some way, shape, or form, they're changing the world, just like Vector. And so stay tuned as we look to not only share inspiring stories, but also we look to increase your supply chain leadership IQ. Quick programming note, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. All right, so I'm going to welcome in the whole gang. We've got a slew, a once. talented slew of co-hosts with us here today. Of course, starting off with Greg White, uh, serial supply chain tech entrepreneur and trusted advisor. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Exciting. We are Always exciting. Agreed. This is one of our favorite series for sure. Enrique Alvarez, Managing Director with Vector Global Logistics. Enrique, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Scott. Great seeing you both again. And it's great yeah. to uh, have Jeremy today. It's going to be exciting. We've got yeah. a home run guest. Absolutely. Look forward to diving into Jeremy's story. Uh, Lisa Rodriguez, sell, uh, sales associate with Vector Global Logistics. Lisa, how you doing? Hey, how are you, Scott? Everything is great. Thank you so much for inviting us. You bet. Great to have you back. I think uh, last time we connected was on the, uh, which episode was that? Was that the um, um, Books for Africa episode may have been? Yeah. Or, um, but anyway, no, regardless. So. Yeah, with Nicole. Nicole with Hungry. <laughs> I bet that was the episode. But regardless, great to have you back. Love the work that the Vector Global team does, uh, whether it's all their work with the nonprofits or really in general moving the supply chain industry forward. So great to have you back, Elisa. Thank you. All right. So with no further ado, let's welcome in the our esteemed featured guests we have here today, Jeremy Newhouse, Senior Vice President of Operations for Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, which is a global nonprofit that's on a mission to move people forward by eliminating barriers to a healthier life. Love that. It can mean so much, and we're going to find out exactly what's behind that mission statement. Good morning, Jeremy. Hey, well, good morning. Thanks for uh, having me on. Appreciate it. You bet. Uh, We've been looking forward to this episode, and we're looking forward to learning a lot more about you and Matter. Uh, And as as we like to do, uh, let's learn more about Jeremy Newhouse first. So, Jeremy, tell us about, you know, where you're from, and you got to give us the goods on your upbringing a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I had I, I could say I probably had a unique upbringing, uh, born in California, but pretty much raised here in Minnesota, right here in Minneapolis, where I live today. Uh, but uh, my, my parents were uh, hippies, and uh, they, they had traveled the world and were Montessori teachers, and uh, they, they ended up uh, homeschooling me and my, all my, my, my four other siblings. So I've been homeschooled uh, all the way up to the university level. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was quite a unique, uh, creative blend in our family. My, my parents being Montessori teachers, my dad being an entrepreneur, uh, home businesses. And so I, I actually started my first business at home when I was six years old, my brother was seven and we, we, uh, we, we were on the front end of the organics, uh, movement, I guess you could say my dad, 
um, brought in approximately about 100 tons of organic wheat from Canada. Wow. And it was stored, and we, we unloaded it, and we would distribute it to people to help them make their own homemade bread that was organic. Wow. So that is... My brother and I uh, decided to start a business or with my dad's encouragement, and we ended up making uh, 50 loaves of bread a week and selling them uh, when we were six and seven. Well, you know, uh, bringing that forward to, to the current environment, we've seen a, a resurgence in folks baking their own bread, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's happened. We, we've, I've made, cause I still do. I now have, I now have a, I guess a nine and a six year old and, and they're starting to make their bread and, and, and talking to the neighbors and, and so forth. And so we've traded bread recipes and, and, uh, they, we've had, we've, eating their bread we've, we've given them our bread so. love it it's it's a it's a great neighborly bridge yeah, i love very that. cool and i love the entrepreneurial lessons that you and your brother uh learned from oh, your yeah. father early on in life i'm sure that that those were critical lessons learned no he made us keep track of all the ingredient costs the electricity i mean he factored in everything we had a spreadsheet or not spreadsheets back then just hand <laughs> handwritten notes on on what 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 the line items were of the cost of goods sold, and then what was, what was the net profit, and what we had to pay to suppliers. So that 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 kind of probably sparked in me a, a fascination with business. I love that. And and uh, then I, as I got into high school, I helped my dad um, kind of self taught myself a little bit of coding, and and worked on a software program to help my dad with an inventory management system for his uh, small home business. And and that just that that that's I just got kind of discovery and trying new things and and. Uh, Things that have a marketplace uh, application, I guess, is, is really wow. Love that. Uh, all right, so let's uh, before we we get Lisa bring Lisa back in. She's got some questions around your professional journey. One quick question: You mentioned you were homeschooled just prior to university. Where did you go to college? Yeah, so I mean, just it, 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 it's kind of a disconnect because I went right from homeschool right into a small Bible school. Uh, and, and then, and then went, uh, had a, had a shift and, and really Africa had a part of that living in Africa for a while and shifted and went and started instead of got my MBA. So that, that's where, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit of a story about how that happened, but, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of where it went. Well, can you give us a reader's digest version real quick? Okay. So I, uh, lived in Congo for a year. Uh, my, my undergrad was in divinity. <coughs> I had every <coughs> intention of going into social work. Uh, missionary work and living in Congo for a year, working in a school and in a church, uh, changed my perspective about what the greatest needs were in, mm. in, in, in underserved communities. And I saw the biggest needs that I, that were confronting me on a daily basis. Uh, I'd walk to school and teach in the classes and get to know my students in their homes as economic needs. And that, that mm. was, that was just, just stood straight out in front that, uh, the economic, crises that they were facing on a daily basis was what um, was uh, insurmountable by 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 any stretch of, of of common of what they were able to handle and so and so that's that's where I guess uh, I I thought uh, that in those in that year that I was living there I came up with the idea of microfinance uh, I, this is kind of that wasn't pre-internet, so I guess I can't even give myself that excuse. But there was no <laughs> microfinance happening in Congo at the time, so it was it was kind of my original idea for Congo. But but uh, now I I, uh, I really thought of if hey if we could give to these these individuals in the schools and their parents, they were working for basically a dollar a day, and and if we could give them a small loan so they could get a little bit of capital, a little start to help help start a home business, much like my dad did, uh, I could see tremendous change happening in in families. And so I became very passionate about 
this idea and uh, and then ended up uh, speaking, getting connected with an, a microfinance organization a couple of years later when I realized that, that actually was a term and actually had been going on quite successfully for decades and decades, uh, just not in Congo. Uh, although it came to Congo six months after I left. So, mm. so and, and anyways, the director of that MFI, uh, he told me, you know what, what, what we'd really need in nonprofit, this is your heart, this is what you want to do and help people with economic um, relief and, 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 and stability. You, you need to, don't go get an MPA or, or a master of public policy or something like that. Go, go get an MBA. And yeah. that, that's what you're going to need mm. to really help people. Well, thank you for sharing the rest of the story. There. Yeah, it's very intriguing. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So Lisa, let's bring you back in here. Let's talk a little more about uh, Jeremy's uh, professional journey. Yes, Jeremy, please tell us about your professional journey prior to current role. How did you shape your worldview? Yeah, I mean, my worldview was shaped from a young age of helping people, um, and and that that's really been my heart. So I guess I guess I have my parents to thank for that. Um, it, it, and and it went right into college, and then right from the reason why I chose grad school, like I mentioned, was I wanted to help nonprofits. I wanted to help people who wanted to to, to see to see real change in the world. And so that 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 all those steps involved in that uh, reflected um, where, where where I guess my my upbringing. And, and some of the decisions made. So I had a chance to uh, go work at uh, a university uh, teaching. Uh, actually, it was a university-run microloan program, the first in the Midwest. There was a handful of other schools out east that had started one, but we were running them, and they were using the MBA students as business school uh, students to work with local entrepreneurs who needed help with their business plan, needed help refining some of their business theory. And then, but they had practical theory, practical experience that they were also able to help the MBA students. So it was a highly successful um, program. It's still going on today, and it, and 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 several other schools around the country, business schools, have adopted that model. Love it. All right. So one last question there, as it relates to your journey and leading up to Greg is going to uh, ask more about Matter. Was there another? What was a key role before you joined the Matter organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, I, I think I think. Um, Run, run, directing a program, getting it launched off the ground at, at the university level. That, that was a, that was a, it was how to, how to think from a 40,000 foot view and really, and really see from soup to nuts, how to actually get something started and finish it and, and, and design it. So that, that was, that was, that, that was very helpful. And what I, what I do today in designing programs and, and helping projects get off the ground. Um, yeah, there, there's, uh, there's others. I mean, I, I, we, I lived in Tanzania for a while doing social enterprise, working with community leaders that, that was, that was, that was very impactful, figuring out the mm -hmm. challenges of, of how difficult it is. It's uh, you can map it out on paper and then how it actually works out is uh, something entirely different. <laughs> That's true. So true. <laughs> that is so true. So, um, well, I know Enrique is a big fan. So tell us what makes matter matter or really what makes matter work. So, yeah, sure. Uh, give us an idea of, of your model. So, so we, we've 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 uh, had about a pivot about seven years ago. We changed our name to Matter. We were we've been around for twenty years, but we were Hope for the City, uh, and then we pivoted to Matter. And I guess we we really started recognizing um, what we wanted to communicate through that name it was that uh, it was the message that you matter. So that's what we established uh, six seven years ago when we did a name change. And it was the idea that irrespective of your ge geographic, your religion, your social economic status, you matter. You're here for a reason. You've given eyes and ears. You see your community. You know what you need to do to help. 
And we want to listen to those ideas. We want to hear those ideas. We want to help you refine those ideas. And ultimately, we want to help you implement those ideas so you can create change in this world. Mm -hmm. And so how that happens practically at Matter is we take on big challenges that we see that are happening in the world that we feel like we can have, have, a, have a part to play in. And, and one of the challenges, uh, there's three right now that we're, we're focused on for our three-year strategic plan. One is um, access to health. So this has been obviously a long part of Matter's history, even before the name change. But we, um, we're still uh, disturbed by the fact that less than 50% of the world's population have adequate access to health facilities. Uh, that's not right. It shouldn't happen that way. So we are on a mission to get as, these hospitals that we engage with uh, proper medical equipment that they need to service so they can have a proper facility for people to go and get care. Um, we're, we're, another big challenge that we're running through is that this is the first generation in the U.S. that is projected to not uh, have a shorter life expectancy than the previous generation. And a lot of that has to do with non-communicable diseases. And, and the shorter life expectancy uh, oftentimes relates, correlates with nutrition and health outcomes. So our, our, our history back as, as Hope for the City was a food bank. Now we've pivoted to how to teach nutrition through healthy food. So we distribute matter boxes that go into communities that, that have procured intentional uh, food that, is, that has recipes, video instruction, how to prepare food, how to shop for food, how to, how, to, uh, how, to, how to provide nutrition for your family. A health bank, if you will. Wow, that's, I mean, that's, that's a really valuable service. And probably, I'm guessing, stemmed from some of your experience in Africa, having recognized the um, whatever shortages and and issues with with certain people's being able to get healthy food and water and things like that. Absolutely, I mean, nutrition has is one of the primary building blocks of of, of a healthy life. And when that's missing, uh, you're just you're you're, you're not going to you're, you're not going to have the right outcomes that you're looking for, irrespective of whether that's in Africa or here in in, a, in Minneapolis. So. Um, yeah. That's one of those building blocks of health that we feel like uh, we have a part to play in, and and it's been it's been very very uh, it's been it's had to be out of the box thinking, and we we were not we started as like you said a food bank, and we recognized that the food that we were distributing out in the community, the ones that we were getting in surplus and and from the overstock and supply, was actually not healthy food, hmm. and so we had to look in the mirror and say six, seven years ago, are, are we doing more harm than good? Wow. And we had to come to the conclusion that wow, I think actually we might actually be contributing to the problem, not helping it. And so we had to just stop it. We got rid of our freezers and refrigerators and, 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 and all, all that whole program and just redesigned it. We could imagine a perfect uh, distribution platform. What would it look like? And we started imagining, well, it would look like not just random food. It would look like intentional procured food. It would look like we actually had this in, a, in a one box that somebody could then take and take a recipe and learn how to prepare food and then have digital content that helps support that. And that's what we dreamed up. And then through the help of a lot of collaborators and companies, um, that bought into that vision, we, we started implementing it. Mm. So Jeremy, can you give us an example? I mean, give us an example of what you might have been distributing before and what you shifted to in terms of what you're, you know, what you're providing today. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, I mean, as a food bank, you know, you get, you get everything from can, uh, can green beans. pallets of soda pop to chips to uh, things with high high preservatives, high sodium, high fat content. You just you Got just it. get the random mix of of whatever, and then and then you try to distribute this. And we would have food. We'd actually have a, a pickup services where where smaller food banks would come and pick up stuff. And it was just the randomness of it all. But sometimes you'd have this uh, this great you know a set of strawberries, great. 
And then what does that have to do with, um, you know, tortillas that you got? And, and just like, just, just trying to build, you know, just the randomness of it was, was how do you, are we really impacting the health outcomes? Yeah. How are we helping nutrition? And so that, that's where we had to say, no, 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 let's, let's actually design healthy, let's, let's procure intentionally low sodium, uh, high fiber, let's, let's procure re- intentional food that actually can be made into a recipe so somebody can learn how to prepare food and how to shop healthily. So you raise the bar from simply feeding to then to then nourishing, and now the kind of age-old tradition, right? Give give a man a fish, mm. feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Absolutely, um, that's our goal. Our, our goal is to work ourselves out of a job, out of a business in yeah. that in that sense. We're we don't we don't intend the Matterbox to be there for life for somebody. Mm-hmm. We want to lower the intimidation bar of that you can prepare healthy food, that you can shop for healthy food, that you know what that looks like and what it tastes like. And a lot of times, unfortunately, kids, that's where our biggest emphasis is with kids. Because yep. we discovered that whatever kids like, parents end up doing. Right. So, and, and, and we discovered it's also very hard to teach kids to, to try something healthy. Because typically, the first experience a child has with healthy food is a terrible experience. It's usually some badly prepared whatever yeah. uh, vegetable. And they're like, no, I don't, I, I don't want this. Give right. me my cocoa Spinach. Bar. It's usually something like Brussels spinach, sprouts. right? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, yeah. Jeremy, so we know what your title is, right? Vice President of Operations, right? Mm-hmm. But tell us what your role really is. What does that mean? And what do you do every day at Matter? Well, yeah, so, so we're a small nonprofit. So we have, we have a lot. And, and for that, you end up wearing a lot of hats. Right. Um, uh, so, so, you know, I guess what I really enjoy doing is working on the projects when I can work on a hospital project that, that goes from the implement, the design all the way to the final implementation and even the delivery of, of, of helping them succeed at their delivery of health service, kind of the last mile solutions that that's really fun to do, to see that whole, to design the plan and then actually see it to fruition. Uh, the, those, those are, those are enjoyable, rewarding experiences. Um, but, but, and, you know, and then you have the non, not, not so enjoyable ones. Um, so you, you get, a, you get, a, you get a broad mix of, 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 of what you end up doing and the, and, the, and but that, the variety I think is the, is what, is what I love too. So I just, I, I don't know how well I do at doing just one thing all the time. So I spend a lot of time in the finances as well and, and on the, and the board reports and to uh, the financial positions of what we're trying to do. Great. Just out of curiosity, how how do you distribute these days? Hmm. So so it, it depends on, on the medium what we're trying to do. So so in the in the uh, food um, space and nutrition space, it depends on what that is going to be. So in, in 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 a developing context, it could mean an agriculture project where we're distributing tractors and implements. It could mean that we're doing relief meals. We're taking. We have we have some of the largest relief meal uh, um, NGOs here in Minneapolis okay. that are based here. So we distribute that food to the right projects, to the right hospitals that have malnutrition wards. Uh, so that'll be. You know, we worked with Vector a lot on on supply chains around that. We worked with Vector years ago uh, on a, on a famine relief where we ended up shipping. I think it was close to 11 million meals uh, to Somalia. Wow. Uh, during a famine that they were having, and we we got the whole Minneapolis community behind it with a lot of other great NGOs and partners. But yeah, they packed all that food, and then we end up shipping all that food to 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 Somalia for that famine relief. And then then locally, it could look totally different. It could be we have for the matter boxes, we have companies uh, come in, we procure the food intentionally, as they they actually pay for the food, so they're covering the companies are covering the cost of the food that they're going to be packing. They pack it, then we distribute that through our our, our localized um, 
local distributors who are putting that that food right into the communities of need. Awesome. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, you mentioned Vector. So I got to ask Enrique, you know, first of all, we're always thankful that you bring us great organizations like this that are doing such great things for humanity. And your part, of course, we find tremendously valuable in leveraging and facilitating and even moving some of these goods around. But tell tell me what you, you know, what kind of draws you to matter? Why do you feel like we ought to hear from Jeremy and his organization? Yes, no. Well, first and foremost, uh, thanks to Jeremy and his team. Uh, not only him for being in the episode today, but just for like the, um, I guess, dedication and commitment towards helping others that they bring to the industry and the world. And it's just really refreshing to work with people like him. It's, uh, you asked me about what we kind of admire about Matter the most, and it's just, they're just good people in, in general. It's a good team. They're um, laid back, honest, uh, committed, hardworking. They're passionate about others and giving back. And they're not afraid to say things the way they are, which is something that is kind of rare these days. And I kind of admire about their organization. If they can do something, they'll say it and it's easy. And we'll try to work through the different challenges together um, as opposed to just trying to to uh, selectively give information, right? So as, as, a, as a teamwork goes, uh, we value uh, our partnership with them. And uh, when it comes to the one part's the logistics, one part's the moving the containers from point A to point B, and, and the other that, that we really are very excited about is uh, they really just inspire us. So they're just, they're just pushing us to be better. And, and Elisa works, and Eduardo, who unfortunately wasn't able to, to join us today uh, for personal reasons and other things uh, that he had to do. But it's just, it's just fun working with them. And, and I'll let Elisa tell a little bit more about that because because uh, she works more on a day-to-day basis. But it's really working with good people helps you see the bigger picture, helps you keep your company and myself grounded and just keeps me, um, yeah, keeps me um, trying to, to do better every day, right? So if you work, if you wake up uh, and... and you have a couple of shipments and it, it deals with helping someone in Africa or trying to save people from starving or nutrition or anything of the things that they do. It's just, it's easier to just get through the day because yep. we have <laughs> a really good motivation. Enrique, That's a really good point. My, yeah. uh, so clearly matter are, is made up of good people, but what yes. I'm g- gathering from, uh, pre-show conversations this conversation is good people with purpose that are on a mission that are taking action to much like vector's been doing change the world right and impact others and as jeremy put it put it plainly work themselves out of business i love that and also love going upstream and identifying root calls rather than put band-aid after band-aid after band-aid and look it's important band-aids are important right it's how we can kind of give ourselves time to figure out root calls for some of these these deep challenges we have but i love the root calls approach alisa before we kind of broaden the conversation is there anything you'd like to comment on you know your involvement with matter and and why you admire the organization yeah i want to say thank you to you and all the team of matter because as Enrique said, it's really a motivation 
to wake up every day and start working with your team. And when we receive a new confirmation order, it's exciting to think that all these, all the products, and even if it's medical supplies or meals, it's exciting to think that everyone who needs it will receive it. So it's really um, amazing to work with a company who do that. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. Mm. Sounds very rewarding work, Lisa. Yeah. you really gratifying yeah. to, to, to be a part of it, huh? It's, it's a little bit of changing the world every single day, right? That's yeah. cool. All right. So with that said, and, and you know, all of us here on, on this interview are all big fans of how supply chain can certainly change the world and make it a better place. And, and that might sound cheesy, but, but I believe it. I believe it. And we see it every day. All right. Mm -hmm. Enrique, at this point, we're kind of broaden the conversation out. We want to pick Jeremy's brain on, on other things that are taking place across global supply chain. So go right ahead. Now, a quick question for you, Jeremy. And uh, again, we're living historical times, right? At multiple levels. We were fighting a pandemic. Now we're fighting systemic racism. And there's so many things in our country and in our communities that we they just seem to be falling apart. I don't know if it's uh, one thing or the other. So how how do you, as uh, someone in charge of keeping operations running and keeping logistics going with everything that's going on, and including uh, you having to go to work in San Paul, and you just mentioned before we started this conversation that it, the riots actually took a toll on, on, the, on the city and the people. Um, how, so how do you feel about all this? And uh, how do you then deal and cope with that so that your team continues to be as efficient as they possibly can um, fighting all these different challenges at the same time? Yeah. Uh, thanks for the question. You know, I want to echo what Scott said, like supply chain absolutely has an impact in humanity and an impact in making the world a better place. So that's what we, we really see our vision and our mission is to uphold the arms of our partners who are on the front lines. And unfortunately, you know, this last couple of weeks here in Minneapolis, tragedy hit and we're in shock as a community. Injustice was done by the police to innocent people, an innocent black man that did not deserve to die and he did. And that, that has created a disruption and, and, and uh, anger and, and frustration that, that ended up resulting in, in dev some devastation that happened in our community. And so what worked, you know, how, 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 do you, how do you impact that? Well, our response is going to be through the food impact. Uh, right now, that that's what we're going to be uh, focusing our efforts on and trying to. Uh, unfortunately, three grocery stores got burned down in that community, so there's uh, their access to food, food insecurity is going to be an ongoing challenge. And we want to figure out our part to play with with the community leaders and, and building up uh, a message that uh, love can conquer hate, mm. and, and we want to we want to have an impact there. So that that does that's taking a lot of coordination. Like to make that actually happen, easy to say to make that actually happen, uh, it's taking we got to talk to our suppliers from the food companies to the companies, the local companies that are going to help support the food, uh, pack the food, and then actually end up distributing the food. So it's all logistics to make those beautiful intentions happen. It just takes nothing but logistics to, to actually make it happen. On the uh, international front, uh, Jeremy, I mean, you're also, and I'm aware that you, I know that you guys have been trying to uh, procure some PPE products internationally as well. And you've sent, uh, a lot of products COVID-19 related. Could you tell us a little more about what you're doing on, on that front? Yeah, for sure. So, so our, our hospital clinic program is a medical 
reuse program. So we get things in donation from hospital suppliers and, and manufacturers. Uh, they, they, they have their own supply chain challenges. So we become an outlet for things when they're uh, upgrading or changing systems or, or manufacturers. So in, in last year, we, we rescued about a little over a million pounds of medical supplies and equipment that would have gone into landfills. We find that, we sort it, we refurbish wow. it, and we end up getting that to uh, hospitals and communities that need. So that's the international model that's been going on. Many organizations, good organizations do something similar um, to that. What we, what we found with COVID was that the supply chains got inverted. So we were normally getting things from hospitals and manufacturers of PPE and, and equipment. And then we, of course, find, find the, right, the right use for it down the supply chain line. And this, what happened was we got calls from the same hospitals, the same manufacturers that donated us the equipment saying, do you have any of that left? Can you give that back to us? <laughs> we're out, we're support, we're, we're, our supply chains were disrupted. We need to now in, wow. in, invert the supply chain and get that stuff back. And so we were able to help about 22 to 25 hospitals um, nationally here in, in, in our community and, and in New York and, and Iowa and, and surrounding states around Minnesota. We were able to get them back. We ended up getting around uh, 500,000 masks and gloves back to back to uh, the hospitals that needed them desperately. So that was an interesting you know, change of, of, of what, what took place through COVID and supply chains got inverted. So let's continue along those lines. Uh, and, and when you, when you really look um, uh, broadly across global supply chain, Jeremy, is there anything else really one, whether it's a, a challenge or whether it's an innovation or a technology or, or maybe even from a leadership standpoint, is there anything else that really you've been keeping your finger on the pulse of here lately? Well, well what happens with supply chain when you have crisis is that supply chains get disrupted. And, and so not only did it get inverted, but what we've seen before in other crises, and we're starting to see this uh, just on the front end of this now, is that you know the classic uh, inventory bullwhip effect of, of, of supply chain. So you have increased you know, in these swings of inventory that happen in response to a crisis through the customer's demands. And then it just, um, you know, it has, has effects up the supply chain that, 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 that increase. So, so what, what, what we typically see is, and we saw this after Ebola, for example, uh, six years ago when Ebola hit, there was massive ramp up in masks and gloves and PPP, and and then and then and then you know the bull up effect in, in supply chains caused all those those orders to increase, increase, increase all the way up the supply chain, so that they now came kind of crashing down. And then we had you know a warehouse full of masks and gloves, probably that we took about three years to get to distribute all that mm-hmm. and, and to and to process all that because the hospitals couldn't hold hold it. So you get those classic uh, bullwhip effects. Uh, and we're already starting to see with the ramp up of medical equipment and supplies, we can see on the horizon that as COVID dies down, there's going to be this massive flux again, where we're going to be um, loaded with supplies and, 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 and equipment, uh, which is going to create its own logistical challenges for our limited space and what we need to do to, to help. Yeah, great point there. Uh, of course, we've all heard, if we've heard uh, anything about toilet tissue in the first six months of 2020. We have certainly heard as much about the bullwhip effect. And, you know, I kind of say that tongue in cheek, but one of the great things that that we talk about every show, it seems like these days, is that the amount of awareness, the challenges, one of the silver linings here is the consumer's heightened awareness of why global supply chain works and how it works and and why certain things take place. That's a, a great silver lining to all these challenges. Um, 
one of the thing I want to maybe get you to respond to a bit, Jeremy, um, just earlier this morning, Greg and I had the good fortune of spending some time with um, uh, Dominique Zwinkel, uh, Zwinkels, who is with People That Deliver, which is uh, affiliated with UNICEF and her friend and colleague, Jenny Froome with SAPIX. And of course, they're doing a lot of work on Africa, much like some of what you're referencing. And of course, a lot of work that Vector does. And I learned this new phrase that evidently is a is a real thing in in those that are in international programs is no product, no program. Mm. And of course, as the lover of all things supply chain and my lens, I, I listen through that phrase through. It's very clear. Yeah. If we can't deliver what it is we're delivering, then nothing happens. Right. So how does that, you know, how does that sound to you? And, and is that a is, is that something y'all kind of rally around too? Absolutely. I mean, without without that, you can't do anything. You can have good feelings about something, but without it, without something to handle to actually be able to help, uh, no product, no deliver is, is the is, is no program is is the right is the right me- uh, the right thinking to have. And I think I think you even have to broaden that out a little bit more. You know, this crisis was a medical crisis. COVID was, and you're starting to see that. You know, the need for PPP and all that. But but it also disrupts many other things. So what we saw also, it's almost like a, I've seen this movie before thing when when Ebola happened. In, in many of these developed and fragile economies, when, when there is a medical crisis, the, actually the secondary effects can be bigger than the primary effect yeah. crisis. So the secondary effect uh, of COVID is disruption of food relief and, and, and food, food, food security and food channels. And so we've never gotten more requests from our Africa partners for food um, in this last four or three months than, than, than we've ever had in our history as an organization. So yes, mm. the, the immediate focus is on the supply of, of, of medical needs, but actually we've had more requests for food than medical from our hospital, from, from our, from our Africa partners. That's so it, it's, it's just like the secondary effects keep on connections sometimes be bigger and, and more harmful. And that was the case with Ebola as well. Um, the, the malnutrition and, and the suffering from food, food insecurity was, was in many cases, um, in many countries worse than the, than the effects of Ebola. Mm-hmm. Hey, real quick, Greg, I know you're going to uh, make sure folks can connect with uh, Jeremy and Matter momentarily. But, Greg, do you ever feel like we're a bee and as we go from flower to flower or podcast conversation to podcast conversation, it's little snippets that stick between our ears and that spills right over into the next conversation? It, There's so many common threads. It is, right? I mean, it, it there are so many common threads, and it, it comes from the fact uh, of the that we're trying to solve problems in a very similar, using a very similar platform, that being supply chain. Right. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, the, I, I, I was thinking of the, exactly that phrase, uh, just before you said it, right. No product, no program. Um, and how poignant that particular discussion is. And Jeremy, you added to that perfectly, all the good intentions and all the good efforts and all of the, all of the preparation and and uh, initiatives don't matter unless yeah. we deliver, right? And um, and that's you know that's so that's such an important part. But yeah, you're right. It's amazing how often these things tie together. Yep. Well, so let's uh, so let's talk about how people can reach out to you. Obviously, they can go to matter.ngo your website. How else can people reach you or reach the organization? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we I guess the website they can reach us on Twitter, on on Facebook, on I mean, it's all matter underscore NGO uh, is the is the the best way to to find us on our on, on Twitter or or Instagram or Facebook. And of course, our website. I, I guess if they wanted to engage uh, right now, um, obviously Minneapolis is the epicenter of this crisis that that is that is spreading uh, of injustice that is spreading uh, around the world and, and needs and needs to be addressed. And and so our again our response is food. Um, and, and what we can do to help help these communities that are hurting at the moment. So if they went to our website, they could just scroll down and see. Um, there, there, there's there's one in there called COVID response, and also for for helping pack food. So they could easily do that. It's a it's a hundred dollars, and they they get a box of food uh, of food that they then assemble into these matter packs, and they can either distribute that locally or ship them back to us, and we distribute them here in Minneapolis. So that's a that's an easy way. I, I think of another one if if they know of a company. Or, or 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 an organization that has product that either in the medical or food space that we could uh, have a conversation with them about donating to, to some of this work. I, I'm always looking to to to, to 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 get more more engaged with uh, great companies that, that could make a big difference. And then I think lastly, um, just the message that you matter. Like you have eyes and ears. You 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 can see what's needed in your communities and in, in the places that you travel and work. And don't 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 think that's somebody else's job. Uh, that's the, our mission is to help empower you to go make a change. And we want to listen to your ideas. We want to help you refine those ideas. And ultimately, if we can, we want to help you implement them. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. And I bet you're going to get some outreach uh, as well. So, um, and you talked about how you're addressing not just the uh, immediate crisis in in Minneapolis, but also some of your COVID nineteen initiatives. And I know Enrique, you and the team, uh, Lisa and the team at, at uh, Vector have an initiative around COVID. Can you share a little bit of that with us also? Yes, of course. When we, um, I mean, we saw the pandemic coming from the very beginning in China. And so we started shipping uh, some masks from Mexico to China back in November. And so we've been following this crisis, worldwide crisis from China to our friends in Italy, which we also helped. And when it hit the U.S., we decided to launch this new task force and and really try to mainly do two things. One, uh, cut the middlemen, because we believe that this has become like a, like a mess is the summary of it. But it's really just inefficient, uh, corrupt, shady industry. And it's not helping anyone uh, close deals quickly enough for PPE to go to the hands of uh, line workers and first responders and people that really, really need them, right? There's just brokers at brokers now. So there's just everyone's trying to broker. Uh, So the the first, our first thought was we have the contacts in in Asia. We know uh, agents. We have the sourcing. Let's just try to cut the middlemen and try to help people uh, get this fast. The other thing is just helping helping uh, as many organizations as we possibly can. So for every um, shipment or trade that we conduct, we're donating to different organizations here in Atlanta, one of them, Love Beyond Walls. We had the pleasure of interviewing Terrence Lester uh, on one of our episodes. Right. And um, the one thing that everyone, the one thing that they told us to do when this started was wash your hands and stay home. Well, homeless people don't, don't have either. Right. So so through his organization and the amazing job that he's doing with uh, a campaign called uh, Love Sinks In, he's been putting all this portable uh, sinks around the cities. Uh, and, and so we're trying to help him raise 
uh, money and then also supplying, we're trying to supply at least 100,000 uh, masks for, for the homeless. Those are the couple of things that we've been doing. Everyone else is doing uh, in our team different things with other organizations, uh, but those are the main more corporate ones that we have. Outstanding. So yeah. uh, share a little bit about how folks can uh, reach out to you either on these initiatives or, or Vector Global as well. Yeah, they can, they can look us up on our, uh, through our webpage, uh, vector G, uh, vectorgl.com. And uh, we're going to be launching a new one in a couple more weeks. So we're all very excited about that. The, uh, the other way of doing it is just reaching out to me directly on my email. It's Enrique. E-N-R-I-Q-U-E dot Alvarez, A-L-V-A-R-E-Z at VectorGL.com. Uh, or they can just uh, go to our Instagram as well and look us up. They can also look up Chica's Instagram. Yeah, They want to connect with the they mascot. Can well, Chica has way more fans than we do. <laughs> yes, <don't, but> yes. <laughs> that's right. So the, to clue the audience in there, Chica is uh, Vector's mascot. And what kind of what kind of dog <laughs> is that, Enrique? Well, Chica. She's an Australian Labrador, and she's basically our dog. But yeah, lots of personality. Love it. Uh, all right, so um, so much to cover, so little time. What a great! I mean, gosh, hours flown right past. Um, Jeremy, thanks so much for what you and the Matter team are doing. Uh, I mean, uh, such critical work, noble mission, and and you know, y'all were doing that before the pandemic environment, and and now the need is, as you put it, is even greater. And the challenges are even greater. So really appreciate what you do. Hopefully uh, you hear from some of our listeners and we look forward to bringing you back on the program uh, maybe later in the year to kind of get an update on what you and the Matter team uh, have, have been able to, to get accomplished. Jeremy Newhouse, Senior Vice President of Operations for Matter. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. You bet. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. And of course, we couldn't do this without the Vector team. And we love our Logistics with Purpose series. It, it, it's, it's just not to be cheesy, but it is the heart and soul of why we love supply chain, why su global supply chain is so important, and all the talented people that make things happen in the industry. Um, so I want to thank Enrique Alvarez, of course, Managing Director with Vector Global Logistics, and his colleague, Elisa Rodriguez, uh, also with Vector. Great to see you both once again. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Scott. You bet. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to see you. All right, Greg. Man, uh, I'm, I'm scared to ask you your one key takeaway because it might be a 42-minute takeaway. <laughs> but uh, amazingly, it's a very simple one. Um, and I think the discovery that we've had here, especially considering uh, Jeremy's upbringing and um, and you know, how, he, how that has manifested itself in, in what matter does, um, is that like Enrique and the folks at Vector Logistics and, and so many of the folks that we interview, Terrence, of course, with Love Beyond Walls is it's not, um, giving forward is not what, is not what they do. It's who they are. Mm. It, it is a giving spirit. It is a part of their being. It is, a part not only of their core values and worldview, it's just an unstoppable force within people to give. Um, it, it's just, it is, it's just who they are. Yeah. So that, uh, that, that comes through loud and clear, you know, in, in talking to Jeremy. That's right. These are people that are driving change and, you know, come with that comes the need to drive even more 
tougher change, but it's got to happen and supply chain is going to lead. And on that note, we invite all of our listeners. If you like this conversation, I mean, it, it makes my week for sure. Um, check out our other uh, programming at supplychainradio.com. Check us out on our podcast, wherever you get yours from. Um, you know, we've got some tough weeks and months ahead, undoubtedly from a variety of perspectives, but again, it, it, this is what we're called to do. Uh, so with that said, uh, we look forward to you rejoining us uh, for future programming. Rest assured, much brighter days for all lie ahead. So on that note, Scott Luton and Greg White signing off. We look forward to y'all joining us again on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. 